welcome back or welcome to the On Coaching Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined as always by my good friend, John Marcus. John, what's going on, my man? Steven, we are back and we're here to give the people what they want. And you know what they want? They want to go deep. Everyone else stays on the surface. They scratch it, clickbait you, blah, blah, blah. Don't really give you any juicy details. But you know, we go deep, not only this podcast, I would say like, the depth we go on the podcast, I call it like pro level, right? We're at the pro level of depthness. But in the Scholar Clubhouse and in the Scholar program, we go to what I would call boss level. And sometimes we go to what I like to call God level, which is the deepest of the deepness. <laughs> yes, that is what that is what we do. We go as deep as we can. We nerd out. I mean, that's what we've done in the Running Scholar program with the new edition which will be out by the time this podcast comes out the igloy course is as deep as you can get on igloy it's insane it's insane (laughs) um on other topics as well john and i have just in the scholar clubhouse been going nuts on how deep can we go on a topic let's break it all down break it apart and i should say we go deep so that we can understand and apply simply yes it's the key is the methods are many but the principles are few and the reason you gotta go deep is because this is a really good example actually that just happened like so we had that research paper that was released by um you know, Mary Spacking, Carl Foster, and just like a lot of uh, amazing research- researchers who are heavy in lactate dynamics and endurance training that really, really looked at the quote unquote Norwegian style of training that was made popular by the Ingebrigtsens, right? It's called the research paper is titled, Does Lactate Guided Threshold Interval Training Within a High Volume, Low Intensity Approach Represents the quote unquote Next Step in the Evolution of Distance Running Training? And you know, Outside Magazine did their thing, other outlets did their thing, and I spent a whole day typing out 15 pages on the Scholar Clubhouse, a really in-depth review about how this is exactly the same principle of uh, creating a metabolic situation, if you will, like Canova's alternations, like Igloy's style of training, uh, like Vladimir Kuntz, like Emil Zadepec. And so even though we attribute it to the Norwegian style, the principles of it are in the exact same family as all these other amazing um, athletes and coaches. But we use that then to guide how we're going to write training and apply training. But you've got to go deep to get to the, the core, the root, as I call it, rather than staying on the fringes and just being focused on the branches. Yes. So that's what we do. That's what we're about. If you want to check it out on the Scholar Program, check it out. Sign up. You won't regret it. But today, we get to go deep on a topic. And we're going to talk about a little bit of what you t- you said there, that back in article and others. But really, we're going to frame it around experimenting on ourselves as coaches. Huge. Huge. So important. And, you know, this is the foundation of coaching. So yeah. I'm gonna I, I I mean think about it. We'll talk about ourselves, but how did Arthur Lydiard get his breakthrough in training? Years of self-experimentation. 
Yes. <laughs> the guy the guy ran up to I think it was something like 200 plus miles a week. No, he once he did 300. He said he did 300. He was trying to do a marathon in the morning and in the evening every day. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Um, imagine this, run a marathon before work, go do your day job, and then come run a marathon at night after work. <sighs> That's what he was doing. The yeah. Mother of all experimenters. Just Lydiard was experimenting with different things to see what worked. What happened? He he kind of coalesced in the middle ground there and said, hey, this is what tends to work for me. I'm going to try it on these athletes. It was the same, you know, speaking of the Igloy course, you know, where Igloy, you know, started to develop his ideas. Yes, he observed others. Yes, he saw other, you know, took from others. But then he experimented on himself as an athlete. And everybody in Hungary at that time was like, yo, man, this is kind of crazy. <laughs> what are you doing? But he had success. And then he had success, you know, later on as, as a coach and actually early in his coaching career would uh, do some sessions and run with the athletes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Percy Sarity experimentation 101 like different running form types he's like oh i gotta prance like a horse or he you know took the application and say how do i take what vladimir kunz was doing with weight training uh for distance runners and then also how do i take what else was going on with these reports of runners running in the sand or up sand dunes and apply it to port c in my area and you know Sarity was really famous for his circuits. So he made these like different circuits, whether they're running based, kind of fartlek style, or even, you know, what we now think of Russian intervals, where it's like they do some kind of general exercise and then they go run something. You know, Litnoff did this too in the uh, throws community. But Sarity, you know, first and foremost, would always try his wacky, silly things on himself. <laughs> And, you know, one of my favorite things is to go on YouTube, just, you know, Google Percy Sarity, and you'll see him running up and down sand dunes and sometimes in a couple videos running like a horse trots. Like, it's it's strange stuff. But all he's doing is experimenting, you know, and using... And it's important here. I think one of the things we often think is as we age, it's like, oh, I'm older now. I'm not in as good a shape. Like, Sarity's running around in his 50s and 60s, essentially. And 70s. Like, I mean, you 70s. know. Yeah. And just yeah. trying different stuff on him to see. And, you know, I'll, I'll give a shout out. So, Tom Telez. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Um, you know, when I was working with him, even afterwards, but in his 60s, 70s, even up into, into his 80s, there would be so many times where he'd be like, you know what? I'll get back to you on this. And then what would he do? He'd go out to the local park. You know, we had this three mile loop around where he was living at the time. And he'd be like, I went and walk jogged trying X, Y, and Z, you know? And like, that could be like a mechanical change. It could be this, it could be, you know, something training wise, but he'd be like, and here's what I felt. So, you know, yes. he hears and he'd communicate with me. And I'd always be like, Here's this guy at the time who was like 80 going, going, going and doing like strides and running at the park to feel mechanically what a change could feel like when he thought about whatever it is, you know, whatever the mechanical thing. And that always, again, strikes me home because 
the great coaches are often experimenters. Yeah. Or, I mean, look at Bowerman and Dillinger, right? Like Bowerman experimented with jogging when he, you know, because that was the, the start of the cardiac respiratory health conscious jogging boom or running boom, as we call it. Um, and he was just like, holy crap, I'm out of shape. This is hard. Like, you know, his jogging book, he, re you know, recounts the time he was in New Zealand and he was getting outpaced on a easy six mile run by like a guy, you know, who was almost twice his age. And he's like, whoa, I'm out of shape. And like Bowerman smoked, you know, cigarettes. Cause I was in vogue in his era. You know, he drank like all this stuff and he realized I got to do something. But then also too, if you don't have the capacity to experiment full bore on yourself, he's also a really good model because he was famous for applying and saying his freshmen and JV runners were his guinea pigs. And he was also afraid to experiment in guinea pig on even really advanced runners like Dillinger, for example, right? So Dillinger, when he was an athlete and assistant coach to Bowerman, was an Olympian, right? Medalist, all this stuff. And even after they came back from New Zealand. So he said, okay, Dillinger, I want you to try the Lydiard marathon training method. I want you just, you know, sub T, you know, kind of upper or upper end threshold, like in that sweet spot, continuous running every day for an hour to 60 minutes, try it for two weeks. And, you know, Dillinger did it. And Dillinger was exhausted <laughs> the entire time. So he's like, we scrapped that. We scrapped it. We was like, we're not going to go full, you know, um, adaption or adoption of, Lydiard's marathon block training. But what they did was they kept in the Oregon system, what they call Lydiard fartlicks, which essentially was a steady state run, a continuous run at, you know, that kind of like upper end sub T or middle of your lactate or anaerobic threshold zone. Right. And they would do that for anywhere from, you know, three to eight miles in the morning before workouts, or they do that as their long run protocol, you know, for 15 miles on the week on Sundays. So that that was the thing. Like Bowerman, a really good example of taking a novel training method at the time, having someone experiment on it, but then understanding how to apply it based on, and I like that you said that, Steve, how it felt. Because so often we read these research articles or we think about these abstract concepts like lactate dynamics and blah, blah, blah. And we, we, we start to make it so abstract that we forget, okay, what does that actually feel like? <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's very true. It's like, you, you know, and this is the thing that, that I think is important in experimenting is that when you're working on yourself, experimenting with yourself, it brings it back home, right? It's like, oh, this is what it feels like to run this workout or to give this effort. Because one of the things that we forget is regardless of fitness, like the feelings are often similar if you scale it to your appropriate, you know. So, you know, John and I aren't going to go out and run, you know, 400 meter repeats in 60 seconds anymore. But if we scale them to, you know, our appropriate fitness, you know, for our things, it'll feel pretty similar. We'll get oh, yeah. at, at least an understanding of like, oh, this is what the difficult part of the workout is. This is where, you know, what happens mechanically sometimes, et cetera, et cetera. This is what it feels like. And I think we often miss that out when we, you know, just kind of default towards like, oh, you know. I wrote this workout on paper 
And, uh, you know, it should be good without any understanding of like, oh, this is what this is what they're going through. And this is often, again, not to harp on new coaches or like novice coaches, but this is often the disconnect where you see, you know, a coach write something crazy on paper. And you're just like, I can't do that. Like, that's probably not possible. And that disconnect occurs because there's that not that connection with, oh, this is how this workout should be feels to a degree so this is why it is appropriate or maybe not appropriate for these athletes yeah steve i'm glad you brought that up because i ran into that roadblock uh immediately in my first year of coaching immediately i'd be like oh these kids should be able to do it you know i was coaching at my high school like i thought okay all these kids are strong and robust like i was as a high schooler blah 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 blah. i was a you know division one athlete so yeah no big deal nope they couldn't do it that first week of practice in track like their training it was just like a bunch of like dnfs right just could not finish workouts i go uh oh i because and it wasn't just one or two people it was everyone in my 800 meter group it was everyone in my hurdle group (laughs) so obviously it was a um author error so what that i decided was you know and i had written the whole season out like you know periodized it as you're supposed to do like every week, like progressions on load of, you know, volume, intensity, density. I was like, I'm super smart. Da, 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 da. I immediately took that piece of paper, crinkled it up threw it in the trash can and said, look, here's what I have to do. I need to do the work that my athletes are going to do a week before them. And so what I did that first year coaching is I did all the workouts in the sequence that I wrote them, but I was a week ahead. So what that allowed me to do was one, make adjustments if I was like, okay, high school freshman or you know, uh, developing uh, junior athlete probably is not gonna be able to sustain this load. So I'd be able to adjust and adjust and tweak it as I was doing it a week ahead of time. So that finally when I delivered an ask of a session to uh, my group, I could one, you know, have it edited and a little bit better curated for their ability level. And two, also relate to them at this part of the workout, you'll probably feel like this and that's okay. And at this part of the workout, you'll feel like this. And at this part of the workout, you'll feel like that. So I could essentially project their somatic sensations so that they kind of knew what was lying ahead and what was okay to feel and also what was a red flag to feel. Because oftentimes, right, in training, we are pushing ourselves. We are challenging our boundaries. And there's friction there, right? It's 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 hard. It's, it's difficult. But how hard is the question? Because it's a Goldilocks principle, right? We don't want to be too hard because then we'll fry ourselves. But we don't want it to be too easy because then there's no stimulus. So th- that's how I found a really effective way my first year coaching to nail it in the middle and ended up you know, a lot of good things happen, right? Like these kids weren't tired. They're were excited. They had good times. Like kids who never made it to state, made it to state, you know, placed on the podium. Like this is my first year coaching. And I don't attribute it to any kind of intelligence I had at the time um, from a physiological, because I was way, way, way far. I was a philosophy major. So I was way far behind like Steve and Danny Mackey and all my peers in, in that department at that point in my career. It was simply because I felt what they were going to feel a week before, and then I told him. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's a great example and something that I always suggest to coaches is, 
you know, especially if you're coming from a running background, you know your wheelhouse. So if you're a distance cross country guy, you know the 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 workouts that are traditional in that. I always suggest like go the other way. You know, when I first got into coaching, um, had some good influence and mentors, but I remember doing like some just pure sprint workouts, mm. and it was eye opening. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude, that for you, yeah. Because it, it was it was just like, you know, as a distance runner, you're used to looking at the sprinters and being like, dude, you got like 15 minute rest between you know that stuff. Come on, give me a break. But then you do some of that stuff and you feel that like neural, that deep neural fatigue. And you're just like, oh, this is, this is why we have so much rest. <laughs> like this makes sense. But then what does that do? That allows you to understand it so that when you're maybe programming in that for maybe your 800 runners, you now have a better appreciation versus just being like, oh, you know, we're going to do some 50 meter excels and, you know, they'll be fine because it's so low volume and whatever have you. You understand the nuance of it, right? Where it's like, oh, yeah, this kind of this kind of hits a little bit different, right? Uh, or doing, you know, I remember I'm the worst at, at hurdle stuff. But I remember going through like the hurdle drills that I was having my uh, steeplers do. And you're like, oh, yeah, initially, this is kind of a strength workout to it. Like, it's not just quote unquote mobility. Like, this is a strength workout for, you know, you know, especially if you're not used to this. I need to consider this when I, I'm planning in in this stuff. So I think it's really important, as you said, to sometimes try stuff. And I remember when I got started in coaching um, and I was working with high schoolers, I was still in really good shape, but I would also, I would often experiment, especially when I was trying something a little bit different. So I'll give you two examples here is first, this was during the, uh, the, the late, you know, 2007, 2008, 2009 range. And what really came about in those two eras were, were a couple things. One was the Canova Hill circuits. Like that was the first, like we'd heard of Lydiard Hill circuits, but then Canova introduced these hill circuits, you know, through Let's Run, you know, ironically enough. And I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. Well, let's try this. So what did I do? I went out to the local hill, which we had, which was about an 800 meter gradual hill in the suburbs of Houston, Texas. And I just tried hill circuits and I would try variations of them and see what it felt like before I eventually gave them to some high school kids. And it, we worked it into the program and it worked well. But the only way that I was going to dial that in was not by just copying Canova for, and translating it to high school kids. I need to feel what it was like for those who don't understand, like Nova circuits are essentially, you know, like um, run a hundred meters up the hill, go into, you know, bounding, then go into whatever, some uh, plyos or jumps or squat jumps, and then hundred meters up the hill again. And you're doing this till you get to the top of the hill, right? It's, it's continuous, but alternating essentially exercises and running and bounding and all that stuff. And it feels really freaking weird when you do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you just write it on paper, you can really mess people up because you're not used to writing things where they combine running and squat jumps, <laughs> and bounding and, 
and, you know, uh, all sorts of stuff like that. So it was really important for me to try that. Yeah. No, I'm glad you, you said that, Steve, because, yeah, we often over-index on, when we think about training load, the element of volume as distance runners and coaches, right? Volume is such a central component, but also intensity of what the body's experiencing and then also density or and frequency, right? How close or far apart those stimuli are hitting you. And we forget, right, just because it's not a, a, a mile ran or a kilometer covered that it there's no intensity component to it. Bounding, I tell you, after you do a hill sprint and then you bound and after you do a hill sprint and then you immediately do some squat jumps, that's pretty freaking intense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it crushes you. And I remember doing this as well, the, you know, the, the Canova kick circuit where for 800 guys where essentially you'd run 200 meters straight into 100 meter bound and then run 200 meters. And I remember going on the track being like, I'm going to try this before I sign it. This was for my college kids. Uh, I'm going to try this before signing it. And let me tell you, you know, before I'm like, oh, you know, this is only 500 meters, what have you. You do one of those with the 100 meter bound and then try and come off that 100 meter bound and transition into kicking. It's, 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 I can't even explain it. Your legs are just like, what in the hell are we doing? And, and I remember after doing that, I did two by 500 and I was like, this is more than enough. Like we don't need any more volume of this. We're doing this twice with my 800 guys. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Twice worked out perfectly. (laughs) We tried to do three, literally three by 500. We would have been fried, right? But the only way I got that is by experimenting a little with myself and being like, oh, okay, this is what this feels like. It's a different level of of fatigue. And I remember expanding the rest. I was like, no, we need more than like three, four minutes. We need like five, six, seven minutes between this stuff. And you you get that by experimenting. Yeah. And that's, you know, like in the clubhouse, right, we're talking about this concept of flux training. Um, because again, it's really important that we understand that principle of it because a lot of effective distance running training is essentially in what I call in the flux family, just different methods. Right. So, but coaches are like, how can you apply it every single day and not fall into that kind of like moderately hard all the time stimulus for an athlete where they're overtrained slash under recovered, right? That's so often the case uh, with athletes. And it, the only way really the only way is through self-experimentation and understanding that nuance because that you have to be a master of balancing the dose. And Bowerman was very much a master of, and Dillinger very much masters about uh, um, balancing the dose. Um, and the only way I got there to where now it's just like second nature is through years. And this happened during like the pandemic of COVID. Uh, so it was essentially like I starting to really, really experiment with it, you know, um, kind of like we called it roll-ons with, you know, Peter Thompson's new interval training concepts and stuff. And I experimented a little bit on myself with the high performance athletes, but it wasn't like an all-in thing. I wasn't all in on it yet. And then, you know, in about late 2018, I started to say, you know what? I'm looking at the literature. I'm looking at the studies. I'm looking at uh, all the, the history. I go, these 
these guys are doing this every day, almost, almost every day, like five days in a row. Like Vladimir Kuntz was doing it four, four out of seven days. Henry Rono, you know, was doing it six days in a row. Igloy was doing it every single day, twice a day, <laughs> and only one day on Sunday. And you're like, how are you able to do this? And it just was mind boggling to read. So I started like, all right, I got to try to figure it out. And so I just started doing self-tests, right? And let me tell you, I have never bonked as much and as often in my life for a long period of time as those couple years and in the pandemic. Like it was just a given I was going to bonk, right? Like, so what I ended up doing was in my car, it would just be like massive amounts of Gatorade, candy bars, whatever. Cause I knew the bonk was coming. And we're talking about going like hypoglycemic. So, like all your glycogen just being, you know, uh, gobbled up and i would just be all right well it's, it's gonna be a snip or like I, and i'd kind of like it'd be funny i'd be like all right today's experiment will probably be like a two snicker bar day where <laughs> it'll be a, a 32 ounce gatorade and a pack of skittles day because like i just had these different mechanisms to get that glycogen back in me um immediately when I'd, i know i'd bonk but it took a long time to really figure out that nuance to the point where like i'm super fluent in it now uh, but only it was hard earned. The only way I could have gotten there was through that. And I mean, there's no, there was really no other path to enlightenment other than that. Yeah, no, I mean, it, that's, that's what it really is. And I had a similar, um, experience when, um, again, in the, the two late two thousands, the other thing that was starting to get popularity in the niche world. And we've mentioned it is the Marius back in double threshold, you know, the, the, I'll call it double threshold, but Marius was doing like five thresholds a week, you know, five, six, it was like threshold all the time. And I remember experimenting with that, you know, well before we've hit the modern double or the modern double threshold where I would do a threshold in the morning, come back that in the afternoon and do another threshold. I would try and squeeze in three, four thresholds in a week right? Experimenting with that. And what I found experimenting was pretty simple is that the key to all that was to get away from the traditional quote unquote tempo run Mm -hmm. where you're riding the line and make sure you are below the line. Yes. You have to be able to, you have to. Because, you know, I remember doing this. If you messed up that and you got a little above that line, it was disaster. The rest of my week was 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 screwed. Like I was done. And I, I was actually experimenting with lactate testing. I've got some old lactate testing as well as if I messed up that that line as well, what would happen is my lactate test results would go all over the place. Why? Because I was doing a ton of pretty dang hard work, but controlled hard work. But if I messed up the balance, it w- it was over. It was done for. And I remember my, um, a good friend, training partner and I, like we, in those, you want to talk about feel, we at that time, because we knew, okay, we can't push through it. We would test lactate and then experiment with, okay, what's our breathing like? What, how, how, like, how much can we talk? Can I say a sentence or two? Can I say three sentences, four sentences? Like we would push it and then like take lactate and be like, okay, I was under enough whenever i could say you know whatever phrase it was but once i was said this 
like I was over. And you start to get understanding of like, okay, this is what it feels like. This is what, what we need to be if we're, we're riding below that line. Yeah. It's, you know, like that, that, you know, uh, indoor hack or cough that you get after a hard indoor race or that, that burn you get in the back of your throat when you are like kind of on the, the high end of your threshold running. Right. You, those are things that only can come and, uh, you know, be made known through, you know, firsthand direct experience. And like, you can, we can talk about till we're blue in the face, but until you figure that out for yourself. And that's the other thing I want to talk about with experimentation is you will fail and you will fail hard when you experiment. Failure is a must. It's a big part of the journey. Like, you know, I'll bring up the Marius Backen article we talked about earlier. It says in here, right, Backham developed his training model through a trial and error approach. We we tend to think about more of the trials uh, and highlight that versus the error part. And when we say error, we mean failure. <laughs> so let me give an example of like a big failure. And I talked about this in the clubhouse I had when I was experimenting with kind of like this lactate dynamics that is at the heart of, you know, we can call the Marion back back as thing a double threshold, but I rather talk about about high frequency threshold running because that's really what it is high frequency running at and around your threshold. And we often forget, like you look at it on a piece of paper and you go, it's really unimpressive. The paces he's running and the, the, the volume relative and blah, 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 blah. But as you know, Steve and I know, it's the cumulative load of doing it with high density or frequency within the same day or back-to-back days where glycogen stores have not fully resynthesized. So you are in a glycogen um, poverty state. <laughs> so that's going to make it real hard. It, even if you eat everything you can after that morning threshold run, your, your glycogen source fully won't resynthesize depending on the severity of that um, stimulus and uh, extraction or glycolysis from that um, morning bout minimum 24 hours. So you can eat all you want and come back six hours later, you're still, you're still, your body's still restocking or trying to restock glycogen. So that cumulative load, that's where a lot of the magic happens with mitochondrial biogenesis and proliferation and MTC1, MTC4 transporters and what Canova calls permeability of the cell, blah, 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 blah. Again, this is stuff we go super, super deep on in the clubhouse. Um, and so you're, if you're a, a scholar and a listener and member, you understand this nuance, but bonking is going to be a product of this experimentation with lactate dynamics because we are trying to strategically create, you know, glycogen depletion in our cells, in our body. And so for me, one period of time, I was trying to do a morning threshold run. So this is like, and it's also a time I was co-experimenting without any warm pull cool down. So I was like, all right, I'm going to minimize the amount of, you know, glycogen I'm, I am depleting. So no warm up or cool down. So taking that out of the equation and just immediately start hitting five, 10 pace for six miles and just go and just do that typical tempo, ride the line, but not too much ride the line. And then the afternoon I'm like, all right, I'm going to do, try to do like what kind of like a Hemi Rono would type uh, athlete did, which is like, we're going to do a progression of hundreds, two hundreds, and then these alternations on the track that we now call flux of, you know, 400 meter with, you know, um, you know, 300 meter or 300 meter with a hundred meter jog or something like that. Right. And I, I tried all these different ones to the pre 200 meter drill, blah, blah, blah. 
So often, and I try to do five, right? I was like five times a hundred fast at max velocity, five times a hundred at, uh, or five times 200, then at um, about like 3K pace. So that, you know, zone five stimulus, so to speak. And then kind of then fluxing in this metabolic sweet spot, um, you know, for a mile's worth of flux work, you know, kind of 300 meters at 3K pace, 100 meters at 15K or half marathon pace. So zone four, zone two. So that was the goal, five, five, five of each. By the time I got to the five times the mile or five times 600 meter fluxing between 300, 100, in the middle of the second 1600 meter rep at about 1K in, I went completely hypoglycemic, dizzying, nauseous, like, I was tapped out. Like the workout was terminated then and there. <laughs> like it was a rough, uh, lo- and like that was one that was early on in this when I was like still really like not aware of how hard I could bonk. That was the longest walk to the car, drive home, or actually I drove to the convenience store and just like sugar now. <laughs> <laughs> but I literally just like stopped on the track, took off my track spikes, walked barefoot and just was like, I need sugar. <laughs> and I was like, I literally was like cooked. Like I overcooked my, I was done for like three days, Yeah. <laughs> but I ate everything in sight. Cause my body's just like, you need to restore glycogen now. <laughs> That's kind of hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But man, it was just like, I was because I was running, running, running. It was just, it literally was like out of nowhere. Got hit by a glycogen hypoglycemic bus. I was like, "Oh, I'm done." <laughs> good times, oh, man. Good, but that's good but that's the price you pay when you experiment. Because you're you know when you experiment, you are literally pushing the envelope. And I'm you know Steve said an offhand comment about Igloy that it's really important to highlight. I think and circle back on is people will tell you to stay in your lane. People will tell you you're being foolish you're being dumb you're crazy i've gotten that my whole life i still get it and it's like that that means you're pushing the boundaries that means you're experimenting that means you're on new horizons because every pioneer was told hey yeah you know the world ends at the horizon it's flat you're gonna fall off don't go there hey yeah don't go up that mountain hey yeah don't go down that path stay in your lane take the comfortable path the safe path but those people who you know, caution you in that direction. They're just not, they don't have that pioneering experimenting spirit in them. And that's okay. It's not bad. It's just, they're not cut from the same cloth as us. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, this is why I think it's so important is like you only know kind of the boundaries where the boundaries are is if you push them every once in a while. Right. So, 90% of training is like the same old tried and true, right? It's nailing the basics, all that stuff. But then you have to have some of this where you're just like, okay, let's try these things, you know? And this is why I love it on myself, you know, even with Igloy. I remember when I got interested in Igloy, this was years, years later, I was like, well, I'm just going to do some interval training Igloy style every day. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah. you, you you learn, oh, this is different. Like I need to adapt to this, right? Yeah. But then you you understand it like, okay, I'm not gonna do it every day with my athletes, 
but you understand, okay, this is how you would have to handle it if you were doing this most days, you know? I remember this is way back. This is, we'll go back to Steve being dumb in high school experimenting. I remember reading Zatapak, getting expired, and then going to a hill and just running up and down it for nine miles, like a 200-meter hill, okay? Mm -hmm. And that was a mistake because my calves and Achilles let me know after that. That was was a mistake. (laughs) But at the same point, you know, as coaches, like that gives us some insight. We're like, oh, okay, this is why X, Y, and Z would or would not work. And too often what happens is we get stuck in kind of our, well, this is, you know, I'm a Daniels guy or Canova guy or a Lydiard guy, and they didn't venture out. Or, you know, you say this is the program they dictated. But part of the reason Daniels, Canova, Lydiard, all of those guys got to the point they did is they experimented a hell of a lot, either on themselves or athletes to see, okay, does this work? Does this not? And we're not saying haphazardly try crazy things. What we're saying is be a little bit like a scientist. Like if you have a hypothesis, if you have either maybe it's a theory on why something works, maybe you've watched, maybe you've read something and you've said, oh, everybody's doing double thresholds or whatever, the Norwegian style. We'll go try it out a little bit on yourself. See what happens. See how you respond, how you react. You know, if you want to measure some stuff, great. If you want to see how much it puts you in fatigue and measure HRV, whatever it is, like, go for it. But, like, there has to be some indicator of experimentation. And the last thing I'd say is for distance coaches as well, and I know you did a lot of this, John, is I think it's important to experiment in the weight room, too. Because it's a foreign land for most of us. Because, you know, that's where we, how we kind of grew up and developed. And I think experimenting, and I'm going to say the, the counter. If you're a strength and conditioning coach listening to this, go do some sort of endurance work in your own world. Right? Go experience what it's like. And you'll be like, oh. Okay, I understand this a little bit. Maybe not perfectly, but I understand it a little bit. So that that understanding through exploration is huge. Yeah, iron cardio. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you can get you can get an endurance stimulus with you know with the weights like or kettlebells. Like it's my my coach does it. He calls it iron cardio. You know, I forget who he got that name from, but I'm like, it's a great name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, you know, and that's that's really b- being. It's a matter of your orientation too about where you think we are along the training, um, the scope of the training evolution, right? To me and to Steve, it's very, very clear to us that we are still, as we've said before, in the wild, wild west. Like we tend to think we are fully evolved. There's nothing new under the sun. This is the way it is. What is known is all the inputs, right? We know in general how different types uh, what different, you know, biomotor qualities or physiological qualities we want to enhance in an athlete. And we generally know like the very like direct way to have that. What's not known though, is how different, um, you know, amounts of the ingredients put together, create 
can create different situations and circumstances that can create different adaptations. I'll give a really good example of this. Like uh, I was reading this research article about, um, you know, mixed strength conditioning sessions versus uh, a block periodization session in, in strength and conditioning world, right? So mixed sessions was like a little bit of different stimuli all the time. And this was, you know, a 10 week study they did. And it was like, all right, we're just going to just basically just variable stimuli all the time throughout the 10 weeks. And then block was like, all right, we're going to have very discrete blocks of certain types of focal points of training, right? Like an accumulation period where we focus on like accumulating volume, doing a lot of work, moving a lot of tonnage, uh, a max power period followed by, okay, we're going to focus on, you know, really just a couple exercises like deadlift, squat. And we're just going to maximize power output, you know, through those classic compound lifts. And then finally, it was like, you know, um, a realization period where it's like, all right, they're going to do a ton of um, plyometrics and basically plyometrics four days a week. Right. So the scope of the study was like these, you know, these athletes, um, you know, five days a week strength training. So what happened? Well, what happened, right, is the body responded in the direction of the stimuli. So the athletes who did the mix um, session periodization, where it was like just a little bit all the time, overall throughout the, the three periods in the 10 weeks, their volume and tonnage moved, stayed about the same and pretty high. And so they had more you know hypertrophic um, adaptations in the muscle tissue, right? Versus the people who did block periodization, what they found is that their quote unquote reactive ability, their speed, their coordination went up, but they did not get the you know hypertrophy that the mixed periodization group got. And you're like, well, why? Then you look at the volume they did, and the volume just drops throughout the three periods in those 10 weeks. First period in the accumulation, the block periodization groups tonnage moved way higher. Then it's about 50% less in the second period when they just really only focused on max power of those compound lifts. And then in the last period when it was the realization and more the plyometric focus, it was like a quarter. It was it was really low. The interesting thing though, right, is the external load dropped, but the internal load, their rate of perceived exertion or rate of perceived intensity was exactly the same throughout the, the, the three periods in the 10 weeks as the mixed uh, session group. So it, that's super interesting, right? Because externally, like, it makes perfect sense. You do less volume of stimuli, you're going to have less of those hypertrophic adaptations. But internally, that max power lifting, internally, the plyometrics, way just as just as high as doing this constant volume of tonnage moved week in and week out so i found it like you know they looked at it like physiologically what are the better parameters for blah 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 and i looked at it as like actual confirmation that like oh yeah max power work plyo work is really hard is interpreted by athletes as being really really hard just Mm. as hard as say doing a lot of volume, quote unquote, at a lower intensity consecutively week in and week out. That was really enlightening to see, even though that was not the um, interpretation that the study made, that deeper reading was like, oh, (laughs) oh. But see, we have the advantage of reading those research articles 
you know, in like the, you know, strength and conditioning journals and what have you, you know, uh, metabolic journals, et cetera. But then we have to take that second or third step, right? And have it read between the lines and or go experiment on ourselves to really, really go deep and tether out that nuance. And so that's the example of what I call, you know, was playing around with earlier and saying that's kind of like boss level or God level depth of interpretation, because the pro level was what you got in the research article, but we took it a step further and another step further. And that's what Steve and I do in the clubhouse. That's what we do in the scholar program. So, you know, like you just get a lot of people get the pro level interpretation on the podcast, but if you want that level of nuance, you know where to go. I I love it. And you know, that's really, you know, maybe summarizing up this podcast, that's the essence of it is it's, what we're looking at is multiple layers of understanding. And there's an understanding from reading something. There's understanding from going deep on something. There's understanding from experiencing something, which is where experimentation on yourself comes around in coaching. And really, as a coach, you need to be able to go through all of those different layers. And, and that's what we're looking at doing in the clubhouse and the scholar program. That's what we try to do on here. But it's like you want to attack each thing from each different side so that you have understanding of what is the athlete going through? What am I asking them to do? What does it feel like? And again, we're not saying you have to even if all you can do is jog, then experience what it feels like to jog and try things out. Again, remember the example, Percy Sarity in his 60s, 70s. Tom Telez in his 80s, working on biomechanics by jogging down, you know, at the local park. These are all things that were, we, you know, not all of us, you know, but many of us are capable of understanding if you can't do it on, on if you have some injury or surgery or some disability, that means you can't do it in running. Experience what it feels like to do an interval workout on the bike or rowing or some variation of that where it's like, oh, okay, this is what it's like to go through this. You have to remind yourself every once in a while. And with new workouts, new ideas, you have to understand a little bit of, hey, what's it feel like so that you can coach it better? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, also, I'd say there is a psychological tension with experimentation. And the tension is this. It's a tension between this might work and this might not work. And we tend to focus and over-index on the this might not work side. Oh, it's it's a threat. It's new. I don't know. Like, this isn't the way it's been done. Because typically with the conventional approach or what is traditional approach, there is a lot of proxy data points because everyone's doing it. So you have all this kind of like proxy feedback, whether it's talking to other coaches, you know, talking to athletes. Um, different coaching clinics, right? Where everyone says, hey, this is what we did. That's what I loved about, you know, before we had the internet, you know, explosion here of sharing of content was coaches clinics was essentially it was a place for people to get around and be like, hey, here's what I tried. Here's what we did. And you just got all these different, like, basically like small little like experimental, uh, anecdotal experimental groups saying, hey, here's what I do. Here's what I do. And you go, well, that works. That works. I remember like the US TFCCA convention, like, when I was a young coach, fascinated by Cadivas Robinson's approach to training the 800, I was like, oh, like, you know, and KD's KD, right? But who who was KD influenced by? 
Joe Douglas. Who is Joe Douglas influenced by? Igloy. And then you start to like make the connections. You go, oh, so when KD was talking about fresh running, I was like, what the hell is this guy talking about? This is the most unscientific bullshit I ever heard. How's this guy an Olympian? How's he, you know? And then I, as I understood Igloy better, I go, oh my God, that guy is super smart. And there's a reason KD has really good success as a coach, right? In the 800. He understands it from his own experience really well. And he's able to help interpret and extrapolate that on his athlete's experience. So, but I've never been exposed to that had I not gone to those conventions. But now I think we have the internet, we have courses, we have all this great stuff. So the exposure rate's sky high, but we have to be okay with it not working. And sometimes if you're gonna experiment on athletes, you have to tell them, hey, this might not work. Are you okay with that? And you gotta get permission. I think that's the key is like, get the permission. This is new. Haven't tried it yet. We're going to give it a go. What do you think? And they'll tell you their tolerance level, right? If they're, if they don't have the tolerance level for an experiment of sorts, or you applying something novel in your programming or program to, to them. And they say, no, that's totally fine. Don't, don't push it on them at all. But if they're like, yeah, 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 let's give it a go. Let's see. And clearly lay out like, Hey, here's, the direction I think you'll adapt. Here's the benefits. I think that will happen. Here's the enhancements I think will take place, but also here's what might, you know, actually be, you know, the mal maladaptive consequences or the overtraining or the areas of neglect we're going to have. If like you do block training or something, that's super key too, because the next step after you experiment on yourself as coach is actually then, you know, translating the experiment to athletes and, I think Bowerman's a really good example. Canova's a really good example. And the reason we talk about a lot of the coaches that we talk about, and it kind of seems like it's the same kind of uh, roster, is it's either because these are coaches who were did experiments on themselves as athletes, and we have a lot of data and literature about that, and or the coaches who did experiments on themselves and athletes that we actually have talked to in real time, in real person. Like we've actually talked to Canova. We've actually talked to Tom Vogelas. We've actually talked to, you know, um, Jerry Schumacher's, right? That's important because that's how the transmission of knowledge happens is through that really in-depth conversation. So I can ping a, you know, a Jerry or a Mike Smith and go, Hey, really, really let's dial in. Why are you doing this? What's, what's the intent behind it? Da, 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 da. So I can fully grasp why, what their motive motives are. And then from there we can, you know, tell all you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's all about. So if, if that sounds interesting, if you want to check out more, check out the scholar program, as, as John said, it's where we go boss level deep. I like that. Boss um, level, Steve. And sometimes we go God level. <laughs> sometimes it's just lose our mind, nerd out. But that's where ideas come from. That's, that's but that's totally what happened when uh, that, uh, you know, Mary's back in paper just came out yes, the other day. It was like, I just stopped everything in the whole day. I was just like, oh my God. Like that was my reaction. Was, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And I just started like typing away. It's like, I was like, what are you doing? I go, I don't know. I just got to type. <laughs> good times there we go that's what it's all about so if that interests you check it out um it'll be good stuff so we appreciate all you guys listening we appreciate you taking the time out of your day keep up the good coaching and we'll keep going 
deep on this and then Boston God level on deep on the uh, scholar <laughs> program and in the clubhouse. 